So I, I guarantee I did something yesterday that most of you men in this room have not done. Yoga in the middle of a park with probably about 20 other women, including my wife. Any other guy, raise your hand if you've done that. <laughs> Brett Robach, yeah, right. Lion. So uh, we were able to uh, go to a Relay for Life event yesterday to support Mary's cousin who um, had breast cancer and has been cancer-free celebrating a year. So it was a really special time. But they had a whole bunch of things for us to do there, including Yoda. 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 Yoga. But I tell you what, I think I, think I uh, may be doing, there may be more yoga in my future. I probably will have to get a pair of yoga pants <laughs> because it's a, lot e it's a lot easier than in jeans. I'm telling you, it's got to be. I've never worn yoga pants, but I'm guessing. There's a reason behind them. <laughs> My balance is horrible. I will tell you that. Horrible. Well, talking about, talking about fitness, right, uh, yoga can help with physical fitness, but we are talking about kingdom fitness here at Abundant Life, and I have yet to listen to the interview of Jim last Sunday, but I've heard reports that what he had to share in the transparency by which he shared was just fantastic, and Brandon did an awesome job too. One of the things I... <clears throat> so appreciate about Jim is that he is constantly growing. He's constantly learning. He's constantly becoming more kingdom fit. And he's been around a while, but yet he doesn't have this attitude that I've got it all figured out and I know everything and there's nothing yet to learn. And that I want to be like that as I grow older. So minus the heart attacks. Can we, can we cut that out? Can we cut that out? Yeah, that's true. I guess if that's how my heart's going to get better. Yeah. So we, if, if you haven't been with us as we've gone through the sermon series, the last time that I taught, we emphasized five components to training with Jesus. If we're going to grow in kingdom fitness, we have to train with Jesus. We have to train in godliness. And I really believe, based on the scriptures, based on my own personal experience, based on my experience working with a number of individuals over the years, that we need these five components to be a part of our training program. Vision, commitment, assessment, plan, evaluation. Last time that I taught, I, we really honed in then on the vision and commitment peace. But if you weren't here, and if you haven't been here for this sermon series, let me just briefly summarize these five components for you so that you have a context for what I'll be sharing this morning. So, and I do encourage you to check out the sermons in this series by going to our website or by going to our podcast on iTunes. So, that's where I'll be uh, watching Jim's Jim's teaching, or listening to Jim's teaching and hearing about the, uh, hearing the interview. So the first one is vision. Um, <laughs> we have to have a target for our training. We have to know what we're aiming at so that we can take intelligent, strategic steps 
towards that target. If we don't know the target, it's hard to move towards it, right? Um, talked a lot more about that last time I taught. The second component, component is commitment. We have to commit to being with Jesus, to learn from him how to live like him. And then we have to be committed to actually doing what he reveals to us. There's got to be commitment. Without that, we're not going to grow. Jesus doesn't force us to live for him. And we don't just drift into godliness, right? It's, it's a committed action on our part. Um, the third component is assessment. We're going to be talking about that this morning in detail. But really, we're looking at, all right, Lord, where am I strong and where am I weak? What is the area of growth that you want to focus on in my life right now in this season of my life? And then once we've determined that, we need a plan. And there will be teaching on this component, I think, the next, next Sunday. But our plan really has two objectives. The first objective, even, there will be no two plans that look alike, by the way, because we're all different. We're all at different points on our journey. But every plan will, should focus on these two objectives. The first obje objective is to really grow in basing our identity on who we are in Christ. We need to grow in that. We need to understand it. And then secondly... Our plan should focus on training us to get rid of old habits of thinking, feeling, and acting that are not motivated by our new identity in Christ and are out of alignment with who we now are. That's what our training plan should really go after. And again, that's going to look different, right? The fifth aspect of our training with Jesus is evaluation. So once we've constructed a plan, is it working? Are we actually growing in our um, ability to base our identity in who Jesus says we are? Are our actions being motivated by that new identity? Are we thinking and behaving in ways that are less like our old habits of thinking, feeling, and behaving? Are they increasingly becoming um, in, in, align with our, in alignment with our new identity? So let's look at, we're going to take time looking at this assessment piece. But that's, those are the components, vision, commitment, assessment, plan, evaluation, and then repeat. Repeat. This is a constant cycle that we go in as we train in godliness until Jesus returns or until he calls us to be with him. So let me pray and we'll hone in on this assessment piece. Lord, thank you so much that you desire us to experience abundant life in you. Thank you so much that you desire us to grow in our obedience to you and all that you've taught. Thank you that you have given us everything we need to grow, that your grace 
empowers our effort. It sustains our effort. It even frees our effort to fail, and it will. Lord, we thank you for what you did to make it possible for us to be connected to you, to train with you, to be transformed by you. We understand that it was through your life, death, and resurrection in our place that makes it possible. We praise you uh, for that. Lord, speak to us, teach us, so that we live abundantly for you in your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so when you talk about assessing where you're at in kingdom fitness, I can't overemphasize that it has to be done with God. It has to be done with God. I'm going to give you three reasons why you must assess where you're at spiritually with God. The first is this. God knows us better than we know ourselves. Look at 1 Chronicles 28.9. The Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. Here's how the NIV puts this verse. The Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. Hebrews 4.13 says, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It is tremendous to think that there are 7.53 billion people on this planet, and God knows every thought of every person at every moment. What a remarkable thought. And although we often struggle to understand, like, what we think and how we're feeling, you ever struggle with that? Like, I don't even know what I think about this or how I'm feeling right now. I'm just, I, I don't know. I don't know. God never struggles to understand how we're thinking and how we're feeling. He always knows what environmental factors are at play, what biological factors are at play, what spiritual factors are at play. We are often like an onion even to ourselves where we, we don't even understand the, the, the layers that our lives are just all wrapped in and our hearts are wrapped in. God understands the layers completely and fully. It's no wonder that King David, you, you, you may have recognized that at the end of the psalm that Jim Curzon read, Psalm 139, you have King David making this statement in verses 23 20, and 24 of that psalm. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you hear what King David is saying? He's saying like, God, you know me better than I know myself. And if I am going to have any chance of truly knowing myself, I must know you. This is true. In order to know yourself, you must know God, who has complete knowledge of you and who can reveal that knowledge to you. Knowing God is the way to knowing ourselves. That's the first reason we must do any assessment of ourselves with God. Here's the second reason. God can see our biggest flaws, which are most often invisible to us. 
Why are our biggest flaws mostly invisible to us? Why do they fly under our radar? Because our vices are often intertwined with our virtues. Let me explain this. So, if you're a helper and you have this natural gift to recognize people's needs and you have this natural burden to meet those needs, which is good and which is godly and it's a gift that God has given to you, guess what your vice can be? You can feel so hyper-responsible for meeting those needs that you overcommit, you overpromise, and you underdeliver. You can be anxious about seeing these needs be met. You can feel like you're God, and you can start to control things for these people you love so that everything goes the way that it should for these people. They're that, you can be so concerned as a helper with pleasing people that it's real easy for your helping to drift into this place where it's really about you. You see, our vices are wrapped up in our virtues a lot of the times, and that's why they fly under a radar. Let's say that God has given you the gift of discernment, and you naturally, on most occasions, can see right from wrong. And what you have to be careful about is this vice of being overly critical of others and holding them to expectations that are unrealistically high. You see, our vices real easy get intertwined with our virtues. And it can be disguised that in this cloak of righteousness that says, oh, I'm just... I'm just calling it like I see it, right? Or in the helper's case, it can be cloaked in this veil of righteousness that says, I'm just helping a person. I'm just caring about them. Another example would be a person that, uh, what's, what's the other example that I have here? Um, Trying to think of another example. Oh, another example would be a person that naturally has the ability to see uh, the, the, the strong points of two different viewpoints. And they naturally just give up their preferences for the sake of others. Good and godly, right? But the vice that can attach itself to that virtue is cowardice, being a coward, right? Where you lack courage, and we talked about this morning in, in, in our Thrive class, where you lack the courage to speak the truth and you avoid conflict, but it's cloaked under the veil of righteousness that says, I'm just a peacekeeper, right? And that's a good godly thing, right? So we got to be careful. God sees through all of our cloaks of righteousness, these things that we're often blind to, these blind spots that we often carry with us, God sees every one of them with 2020 vision. That's why we must assess ourselves with God. Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. The NIV puts this verse like this, All a person's ways seem pure to them. But motives are weighed by the Lord. 
And how about the classic Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Now, there is a big emphasis. If you read anything about organizational leadership, there's a big emphasis on self-awareness. There's studies out there that show that those teams of people and organizations that are made up of people that are self-aware, in other words, they know their strengths and weaknesses, and they know how their feelings and their thoughts and their actions impact other people, those people that are self-aware in that way perform better than others who lack self-awareness. I don't think this surprises probably any of you. Joth is on the loose. (laughs) Found mom. Hey, buddy. He is so stinking cute. But yeah, so self-awareness, right? Like it's it's emphasized. But here's the thing that I think that is missing from our companies and our corporate world. It's the piece they leave out, and it's the most important piece. Self-awareness is going to always be limited and in some ways distorted apart from God. Because again, we can only see ourselves clearly with if we have the knowledge that God has of us. Self-awareness, apart from God, will always be limited. Pete Scazzaro, he has written a book, The Emotionally Healthy Church, I think it is. But he has this quote in there, and this is what he has come to believe through his work as a pastor with people. The vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are. Without being fully aware of it, we live someone else's life or at least someone else's expectations for us. As a result, we end up doing violence to ourselves, our relationship with God, and ultimately others. Scazzaro, he recounts uh, where he was so focused on knowing about God, but he didn't allow God into his heart to do work on it. It was like this study mentally of God outside of him, and it got to such a horrible place in his life. He got to such a horrible place that his wife left his church that he was pastoring. They were still married. She's like, but I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. I'm out. So can you imagine that? He recounts that. Mary, don't leave this church, please. May the cry of our hearts be the same as David's. Lord, I want to be all and only for you, Jesus. Search me, know me, try me. Reveal to me where I am off base, where my blind spots are, so that I may live more fully alive to your glory and for your glory. The third reason you must assess yourself with God is this. And Brandon was speaking to this at the beginning. It will keep us from avoiding our sin or wallowing in it. You may be thinking, why on earth would I want to assess myself with God? If he is going to give me (laughs) a clear vision of my weaknesses, why would I want to do this? Right? Well, I'll tell you why you want to do it. It's because... 
when you go before God and he reveals your weaknesses, you know what he simultaneously does? He, he reveals his grace to you. He shows you how much you have been forgiven. And he reminds you that he has given you a power by his spirit to overcome any brokenness that is discovered as we go before God and we say, search me and know me. Um, When Jim was reading uh, Psalm 139, it reminded me of this Tim Keller quote that I love. It says, he says this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. Check this out. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, that's what God does for us as we assess ourselves with him. So the question then becomes, if we are to assess ourselves with God, and that will keep us from avoiding the junk in the trunk, so to speak, and that will keep us from then also wallowing in shame and guilt over our brokenness, how do we assess ourselves with God? How do we do that? How do we hear from God so that he can speak reality into our minds and hearts. Well, I think we have to connect to God through the channels that he speaks through. He most often speaks through as attested to by the scriptures and your experience, I'm sure, as a Christian. The first is we have to have the habit of praying. That's one of the, there's four main channels that God uses to communicate to us through on a regular basis. It's prayer, it is his word, his people, and his circumstances. Let me just talk about these. First, prayer. We have to have that habit. There's a lot that could be said about prayer, but one of the things that, the thing that I want to emphasize this morning is the importance of attentive listening in prayer. This is what I have discovered is most often lacking from the Christians that I interact with. Attentive listening and prayer. We have our list. We have our praises. We have our things that we are grateful for. We do a lot of time talking. We spend a lot of time talking to God. But often we spend very little time stilling our hearts and really listening for his still small voice. However, <laughs> we find David doing just that in Psalm 62. If you were to read that, he's waiting on God to speak to him. We see Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 1, waiting for God to speak to him in his circumstances. We find the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19, listening, stilling himself to listen for the Lord who ended up speaking to him, not through 
big miraculous signs, but through God's still small voice. In the New Testament, we find Jesus going to places where he can be alone with God to hear and to listen to what the Father had to speak to him. We find him praying all night long before he picked his 12 disciples. Surely, Jesus wasn't just talking to to God the whole time. He was listening for God the Father's direction. As we pray, the Spirit often prompts us and directs us and gives us a word or a thought that really stands out to us. And if we do not place ourselves in a posture to receive that, we are going to miss it, what God wants to say to us. And so if we are going to assess ourselves with God, we have to spend time being still before him, saying, your servant is listening. Speak to me. I am here to listen. Another channel that God uses to speak to us, we see this in the scriptures as well, is he speaks to us through his word. 2 Timothy 3.16 states that all scripture is God-breathed, meaning scripture is God's very words. Words that are useful for correcting us, for training us in righteousness. Why is God's Words so useful for training us in righteousness and godliness and helping us to become kingdom fit. Hebrews 4.12 tells us why. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The author of Hebrews is telling his audience, look, God's word is alive. And when you engage with it, when you connect to this channel that God uses to speak to us, it has a way of cutting us right to the heart and revealing what's in our hearts, laying it bare for us to see. It's like a, God uses it like as a surgeon's knife to just cut through our facades, our false self, just to cut through all that like a hot knife through butter, revealing our true condition. But we must read God's word, not as this mental exercise of study, where we kind of just keep it out here in the world of thoughts and ideas, but we have to approach God's word with the intent to hear from God about the condition of our own kingdom fitness. And so when we read it, we read it with the bead on, Lord, what are you saying to me through this? What does this mean for me now in this season of my life? What blind spots are you revealing to me now? It's that kind of attentive listening to God through his word. That's going to help us accurately assess where we're at. Now, God's word can be just overwhelming sometimes, though, to wrap your mind around. And even like taking a gospel and to really reflect on what is in that one particular gospel can be overwhelming sometimes. And so I really think that there are 
a lot of tools out there that are very useful in helping us summarize key bits of the scripture and then also to assess ourselves in relation to those key bits. Uh, one such assessment that I have taken and that I've discovered is a discipleship assessment by an author named Dana Allen. What he does is he looks at the life and the teaching of Jesus, and he summarizes what he finds in the scriptures into eight qualities that each have several characteristics. Let me share one of those qualities with you. The mature disciple of Jesus will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. So exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit is one of the qualities that he sees in regards to kingdom fitness. And it's bro- he breaks it up into these characteristics. Sacrificial living, which can be defined as the extent to which the individual exhibits the sacrificial nature of Jesus toward others. Gracious living the extent to which an individual exhibits care, humility, and compassion when interacting with others. Satisfied living is the third characteristic of exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. The extent to which the individual is able to live a joyful, non-anxious life in the midst of all circumstances. The fourth characteristic is devoted living. The extent to which an individual remains faithful to their commitments to God others, and themselves. Take a moment. Think about these characteristics of this quality of exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. Where are you strong and where are you weak? Sacrificial living, gracious living, satisfied living, devoted living. Another useful tool that helps us to think about the scriptures and to kind of assess ourselves as we look at the scriptures is the Christian life profile assessment that was created by a pastor at Max Lucado's church. Um, Randy Frazee is his name. And what that does is it it, it just takes you through a ton of questions that help you assess whether, whether or not you're holding to the beliefs that Jesus held to the character that Jesus had, and the practices that he had. And so that's another great assessment um, to, to look at. Another less formal way to kind of assess how you're doing in kingdom fitness is something like the love your neighbor self test that my friend Bill created. Let me just read some of the questions on this self test to you. When a rude driver cuts me off on the road, do I have compassion or prayers for him or her? The laughing makes me think that that could be an area of weakness. Do I show respect for other people by being on time for engagements? When I hear news about another person, do I treat it as curious gossip? Or do I quietly offer up a short prayer to God for that person? When a friend has a great success, am I happy for him or her? Or do I get tied up in jealousy or competitiveness? 
When I'm under stress, am I patient and kind with the people around me? When I'm concentrating hard on my work and I'm interrupted by someone who needs something, do I respond with loving kindness? When I'm in a group, do I notice the person who is left out and take initiative to offer my blessing? You see, God communicates to us through, his, through prayer and through his word. And he can even use tools like this to help us think about his word and assess where we're at. I'm wondering what he's saying to you right now. And we, we don't know for sure. I don't know for sure if he's speaking to you. But he may be. We can't force when he speaks to us and when he doesn't. He's God. He'll decide that. But often he uses this kind of thing to speak to us. Let me just mention two more channels very quickly and then I'll wrap it up. God uses his people to speak into your life. It's another channel we see him frequently using in the scriptures to speak to people. Paul received instructions, the Apostle Paul, he received instructions about where to go and what to do through members of the church. He gave Timothy similar words of direction and instruction. The book of Proverbs repeatedly emphasizes the importance of seeking and obtaining wise counsel. God communicates to us through his people. How many times has God in your life had somebody, they're not even aware they're being used by God, but they speak a word into your life that just so penetrates your heart and is exactly the word that you need in that moment to keep on keeping on. God does this. You know, a very informal way to figure out probably where you're out of shape when it comes to kingdom fitness is to turn and ask your spouse. That's probably one of the surest, quickest, most accurate ways to know how you're really doing. Ask them. They'll tell you. If we are accurately going to assess ourselves, we need to plug into this channel of other people, God's people, because they can see things we can't see. Often they, can, they see strengths in us we don't see. They see weaknesses in ourselves that we are unable to see. One of the things that I like about Ra- Randy Frazee's Christian Life Pro- Profile Assessment and Dana Allen's Discipleship Assessment is it includes the people that are closest to you. They actually complete the assessment thinking about you so that you get that wisdom that comes from godly counsel. You want to know more about Dana Allen's assessment? I got an information sheet on the information table. I think Bill's Love Your Neighbor Self test is on the information table as well. And then lastly and finally, God speaks to us through our circumstances. Through life circumstances. Most often difficult life circumstances. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 speaks to this fact that Difficult life circumstances have a way of really showing us what's in our hearts. They have a way of truly revealing the status and the state of our faith. 
And so sometimes we can discern where God wants us to grow simply by paying attention to our life circumstances and how we're responding to them. Where and why are you feeling anxious? When and why are you so ticked off and angry? When and why are you just down in the dumps? When we ask those questions, often God reveals things to us as we go before him and ask those questions. Here's my challenge to you. It's October. It's the end of October, right? We're going to be starting the year of 2020 in just a couple months. What if you spent the next couple months discerning what is that area of growth for you that God wants to work on in 2020? And I really encourage you to only select one area, two tops, because what I have found is that if we focus on more than that, it just doesn't go very well. It's like we only have the capacity to work on one thing at a time. I encourage you to consider that. And think about this thought. What if with each year that passes by in your life, you, through God's grace, and of course with his power, uproot an area of sin and weakness in your life? What if just each year you saw one of those things uprooted from your life? How amazing would that be? Oh, the abundance that you would experience. Oh, the way your life would point to God's glory and power. And so I encourage you over the next couple months and as we continue through this sermon series to be plugging into these channels of, the, of prayer, the word, God's people, and your life circumstances Attentively listening to what God is revealing to you as you assess your kingdom fitness with the God who loves you so much. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we're not on our own. That the faith you have given us is not a pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of faith that you empower us with your grace for the effort that we need to put forth. And as we do this with you, you reveal to us where we're weak and where you want to grow us. Lord, I pray for these people in this room that their growth in kingdom fitness, their discipleship to you, their training in godliness, their seeking your kingdom first in every area of their life would be the top priority of of their life that everything else fits into. And Lord, I pray that as they draw near to you and seek your wisdom from above, that you would allow them to see where they are at in their spiritual formation. And as they see where they're at, their strengths, their weaknesses, may their strengths lead to praising you. And may their weaknesses lead to praising you for your great grace. But may they also commit to partnering with you to see those 
weaknesses and those besetting sins overcome. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.